0: Hello Tom! Hello
1: Sam, how the devil are you? I'm, I'm brilliant, I am so excited, I am like a giddy schoolchild for today's episode. Excellent. I can already see that I'm shouting into my microphone with excitement by accident, so I'm going to have shouting to lean back a little bit. Shouting into my
0: microphone!
1: <laughs> and covering it in dribble! Excellent. <laughs> we should probably say a few words about what this podcast is. Just for new listeners, because we've had a few of them, so welcome to all of our new listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome, hello, welcome, welcome, hello. So, This Is Genius is a podcast in which two guys on different sides of the world amaze each other each week with a historical story. The other one doesn't know what it is, so we surprise each other, we talk about it, we laugh, we make some silly jokes. There's usually some bad German accents in there somewhere along the line. Yeah. Everyone has a laugh, everyone learns a little bit. Das ist gut. good. That is very good, gut, yeah? ja? Yeah. Ja. Kornflecken mit Milch, ja? Yeah? <laughs> ich spiele Fußball in der Nacht der Rathaus mit meinen Hund. Ja, yeah. das ist gut. Ja, yeah, that means I play football near the town hall with my dog. <laughs> <laughs> is your dog good at football? <laughs> uh, better than I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. I think it is important that we welcome new listeners. Thank you. Welcome for listening. Welcome. Well, Thank you for listening. Welcome, welcome and thank you for listening. <laughs> That's better. I'm not going to edit any of that out. (laughs) No, don't. It's very authentic. People like
1: authenticity, don't they, Sam? They do. They like authenticity and low quality. (laughs) Yeah, and incompetence.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Shitty eloquence.
1: (laughs) If you do enjoy our bumbling English charm... Please do subscribe to us on your favourite podcasting app and do leave us a review, particularly on Apple Music. It makes a huge difference. Anyway, on with the show. Excellent. <laughs> I can tell that you're also in a, an equally silly mood this week.
0: Absolutely. And I've managed to choose a topic which is
1: very, very up your street, Sam. So I know you're going to enjoy it. Oh, up your street. Oh, I, I say. oh, <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we should probably remind people what we're talking about this week. We are talking about illicit literature. Or banned books, or. That's nice. Illicit
0: literature. That's a nice combination of words, isn't
1: it? Well, it is a nice combination of words, and it allows just enough of a loophole for me to get away with my my chosen story. Oh, I this see. Week. <laughs> That's what you were going for. <laughs> oh, okay. You weren't being a wordsmith.
0: You were actually chosen. I wasn't
1: being a wordsmith. I was okay. being a lawyer and, <laughs> or a politician. Fantastic. Excellent. Not giving a straight answer. So, yes, we're talking about illicit literature slash banned books this week, which. How have you found this one, Tom? It was an excellent choice Sam. We've we've chosen some fantastic
0: topics. This was a very good one. It was also one of the most challenging and for me that was because if I'm going to talk about a piece of literature I feel like I should read it. And we only have a week to prepare for these podcasts and I have a very busy job and a family life. Um so I had to, <laughs> well, I had to... <laughs> Look at you, Mr. Success. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I wouldn't go this so far as to say I've been successful, but I, I you know, a lot, a lot of stuff going on. I had to be quite selective. Have
1: you put trousers on yet today, Tom? It,
0: it's it's nine fifteen. Because I haven't. <laughs> I, was, I,
1: was, I, was, I hope I have. I have had. Do you do you ever have those dreams?
0: Those dreams where you are naked in a public place and you're doing your normal day-to-day things maybe in the supermarket naked and then suddenly you go fuck you're halfway down the vegetable aisle and you go shit I'm naked nobody else has spotted (laughs) how can I get out of this situation without anyone noticing and for me usually that's when I have to go and find the biggest marrow they've got in stock
1: (laughs) (laughs) way (laughs) you see what I would do in that situation is I would go and find a large bag of walnuts and cut a small hole in the netting outside and then use that to to hide what needs to be hidden. Right. No one can prove what they can't see covered in walnuts, Tom. Uh, who was it that first said that, Sam?
0: Was that Cicero? <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember. I do think it's a famous historical quote.
1: Yeah, Plato, I believe.
0: Interesting, Sam. Interesting. So,
1: Hiding in plain sight.
0: <laughs> fair enough. So I did, I did find it quite a tricky topic. The other thing that surprised me was quite how many books, very well-respected books, have been at some point banned. Did this surprise you as well?
1: It did. I mean, we can partly thank for this the glorious Catholic Church, as often in these cases of banned literature, with its Index Librorum Prohibitum, which has had almost every published book in history banned on it at some point. Is that right? Yeah, because it was. It lasted from like 1600 until 1966. 1966, wow. This list of banned books, which if you were a Catholic, you had to get written permission from a bishop to read. Literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books on it. Fantastic. Some of which were written by people who were later made saints. <laughs> the
0: absolute hypocrisy of it, it's, it's hilarious, isn't it? I was surprised to find out that the Odyssey, which we've discussed in a previous podcast, that was banned by Caligula. Really? Believe it or not. Wow. So, yeah, absolutely. I don't quite know why, but it's banned by Caligula. Yeah, there's certainly shed loads of pieces of interest in literature that were banned by the Roman Catholic Church, certainly during history. I was totally aware that. I didn't realise they were still banning stuff up until the 60s. Yeah. Harry Potter, that's been oh, yes. very controversial in a number of the more conservative Christian areas of the US, hasn't it?
1: Someone rewrote Harry Potter to say that he was going to some kind of seminary school to learn to be a priest, and he wasn't a wizard. He was fighting against the dark art of magic. I know. Through prayer. I know.
0: Absolutely, and I bet that person was really popular. <laughs> boring fucker.
1: Sold in the dozens, Tom. Sold in yeah, the dozens. Yeah, sold it. absolutely. Orwell, a
0: lot of George Orwell stuff has been banned at yep. various times. Absolutely. I almost went down the route of discussing Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck because it was a book uh. that was short enough for me to be able to read <laughs> in 5 <laughs> days. However, when I researched it, I realized that for that exact same reason pretty much every American school studies it because it's easy to read, and I thought, "Oh, okay. <laughs> for the sake of our listeners from the US, I won't do that I won't do that book." Did you have any other ones that you
1: considered? There were loads that I considered, including a lot of the old science literature about the earth not being the centre of the solar system, yeah, uh, Copernicus and others. The problem that I have, again, is my local library is not particularly well stocked and I wanted to make sure that I actually read the thing that I was talking about. So it had to yeah. be something that I could find relatively easily online and read in a week. And the problem is when you go into banned texts or banned books and you Google that, what you get very quickly is an awful lot of conspiracy theories and so me being the person that I am I went down an absolute rabbit hole of nutty conspiracy theories but that is how I managed to end up at what I'm talking about today excellent so it was a worthwhile rabbit hole it was a worthwhile rabbit hole yes We've alluded enough, haven't we, to what we're going to talk about, so we should probably just say it. Do it. Let's put our cards on the table. So today, Tom, I am going to be talking about the released documents relating to Operation Northwoods. Oh, fuck me, Sam. I wasn't expecting that. It's a document that has been released by the US government. You can find it on US government websites that details the absolutely kingmental... <laughs> thought processes of a load of generals and the CIA to make Cuba look bad in the early 1960s. Ah. And it's bonkers. It's the musings of absolute madmen. It goes fully James Bond, and it's all there in black and white, mostly unredacted, courtesy of the US government. When was this stuff released, Sam? Was this released quite recently, these documents? It was released in 1997 as part of a trove of documents released... The committee that released it is some called something like the John F. Kennedy Assassination Committee. I'm sure I've come across this
0: before when reading about JFK, because I thought these documents came out with some JFK stuff.
1: Yes, they did, yeah. Conspiracy theories abound about this stuff. What's actually written, conspiracy theories aside, is just so wonderfully mad, and terrifyingly mad, but wonderfully mad. Fantastic. I wasn't expecting you to come out with that, Sam. <laughs> well, that is
0: worlds away from what I ended up choosing, which... Sounds sophisticated when I talk about humanist Renaissance literature from the mid 15th century. It's, it sounds very <laughs> exotic.
1: That does sound like a PhD in the making, doesn't
0: it? Absolutely. So I'm, I'm talking about uh, Boccaccio's. Cameron. Ooh. I don't want to tell you anymore until we flip something strange that is lying on your desk.
1: Okay, so today, for flipping, I have an old record. What is the old record? The old record is...
0: Let me guess. Hold on. Stop. 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 Let me guess. Okay. Daddy Cool by Boney M. No. Love is All Around Me by Wet Wet Wet. No. Should we continue playing (laughs) this game until I get it right? (laughs) No. As much as I'm enjoying this game, I don't think it's very stimulating for listeners. And we'll be getting edited out. <laughs> what we're flipping today, Tom, is Duran Duran's electric Barbarella. I'm desperately trying to think up a Duran Duran pun, Sam. Um, but I'm... I'm. <laughs> can you give me a little bit longer? Because we, can we edit out like a 20-minute gap whilst I research? It, <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> right, let's... Uh,
1: Duran, <laughs> Duran... Duran... D- back catalogue.
0: Duran Duran puns. Mm, Sam, I've just had a reflex. I think it makes me want to go for the top side. Was that good? I have no idea. No. And get on with it because I'm hungry like the wolf to get this finished.
1: (laughs) Okay, that is definitely enough and we should be ashamed of ourselves. (laughs) Okay, so are you going for side A or side B? (laughs) Uh, side, Side A, please. Side A. It is. Side A. Would you like to go first or would you like to go second, Tom? In that case, I'm going to put you in the bat first, Sam. Thrilled to be here, Tom. Thrilled to be here. So today, Tom, I'm going to talk to you about the 1962 documents relating to Operation Northwoods, a series of attacks designed to discredit Fidel Castro and the Cuban government. Now, this is, I think we can all agree, pushing the limitations of illicit literature and illicit texts. However... It is a text, it is written in black and white, it's on paper, and it was top secret until 1997, when it was released by a committee looking into papers from uh, the presidency of John F. Kennedy, so on that basis, I'm going to allow myself this one, because it's brilliant.
0: Go for it, go for it, Sam.
1: So, Operation Northwards, if you're in any way conspiracy theory inclined, which, being on the internet, you almost certainly are, (laughs) it's considered to be a series of plots to basically launch what's known as false flag attacks which are attacks where you pretend that your enemy has done something when, in fact, it was it was you in disguise. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Is that like when you fart near someone, Sam, and then blame them? Yeah, it's the international relations equivalent of who smelt it, dealt it. Very good description. <laughs> I shall send it on to various foreign policy bodies for inclusion in <laughs> their thesaurus. <laughs> but let's be very clear about this Operation Northwoods was never a full operation. It was the musings of a group of generals and some madmen from the CIA. But a little bit of background first. Fidel Castro came to power in 1959, obviously a communist. And that terrified the US because it suddenly meant that there was a hostile state, albeit an independent one, which wasn't part of the Warsaw Pact in the Soviet Union, just 90 miles from the US mainland and Florida this is bad. And American foreign policy could not allow this communist Cuban government to survive. It was just considered too much of a threat. And also it was kind of taking the piss a little bit on the world stage that the communists could just creep up so close to the US.
0: The, the, The Americans at this time, I mean, this isn't long after the McCarthy witch hunch. The Americans were very insecure
1: when it came to the communists, weren't they? Absolutely. It was fully red under the bed you know, all of all of this kind of nonsense. Yeah, it was it was the fully the height of There's the Cold a lot of fear. War. There was a lot of fear of communism. There was a lot of jumping at shadows. There were a lot of real threats as well. But but American foreign policy could not allow the Cuban government to survive. And so in April 1961, they launched the Bay of Pigs invasion, which most of our listeners will probably be vaguely aware of. It was a CIA plot to train anti-communist Cuban forces, who were trained in Nicaragua, I think, and then land them on a beachhead in Cuba. And it failed absolutely miserably when President Kennedy withdrew air support and the whole thing started to go horribly wrong. Hundreds of Cuban exiles and a few CIA agents were captured and, and a lot of them were executed. And it was basically bad times for the US, a big embarrassment. It did not make them look good. What became clear to the military chiefs was that if they wanted something to be done about Cuba, they would have to do it themselves. It would have to be an American invasion with the stars and stripes raised over Havana. Now, that's easier said than done because, obviously, you cannot invade a country with no good reason. And the USSR certainly would have something to say about it. Cuba had become an important source of sugar for Moscow. It was important for international prestige. You know, what's bad for America in terms of having communists in your back door looks great for the Soviet Union. So to avoid an escalating conflict, the US had to have a really, really good reason to go in. And frankly, Cuba wasn't really much of a military threat. It didn't have the capability to do much damage internationally. So it was very, very difficult for the US to justify an invasion. Something else was needed. And that's where a series of absolutely mad plans with codenames like Mongoose and Northwoods comes in. Some of these were plans relating to covert operations to bring down Castro's government and attack his military directly. There was a plan, for example, to sink Cuba's navy using divers or some other means. This is actually the only part of the document that's redacted still some other means that aren't US divers to sink the Cuban Navy and so I'm going to assume it's dolphins with bombs on them yeah absolutely Uh, or sharks with laser beams sharks with laser beams why the hell not yep I'm sure they gave it a go the CIA were doing some pretty mad stuff at the time (laughs) (laughs) cue Dr. Evil lasers laser beams The Northwoods was, very specifically, a series of musings formulated by the military chiefs of staff and the Caribbean Survey Group, which was a military intelligence organisation under Brigadier William H. Craig. And their musings were written up in early 1962. And the idea was to make Cuba look bad through a series of false flag attacks. The idea being that the USA could claim that Cuba was acting as an unstable and rash party and that America had a duty, a moral duty, to react to an active threat on its doorstep and step in. Which is exactly what they did later on in 1964 with the Gulf of Tonkin incident, where a US ship was supposedly fired on by the Vietnamese and was the pretext for America going into the Vietnam War. Never happened. Is that right? The ship was never attacked. Is that quite well established? Historical facts. Oh yeah, very very well established. Yeah, it was the Gulf of Tonkin was a, a full false flag incident in which this US mine layer or Corvette was supposedly fired upon by Vietnamese patrol boats. It was never attacked. It was just firing into the sea. Okay. And that was the pretext for the Vietnam War. So there is track record with America doing this kind of thing. Now again I will reiterate this is just a series of musings, and you'll know why I'm Making this clear in a minute, because it starts to get really strange. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) But some of this project was about pure disinformation. There were plans to use any given disaster or accident they could to throw blame onto Cuba. For example, America's first astronaut to orbit the Earth was John Glenn, who blasted off in his Mercury rocket in February 1962. Now, had that launch gone wrong and the rocket exploded and Glenn being killed... Fucking Cubans' fault. (laughs) Yeah, they were. There were discussions afoot to blame it on some mystical cuban interference or electronic warfare weapon bloody cubans (laughs) bloody
0: cubans yeah i do you know what sam this sounds remarkably familiar to me when i'm having a bad day because things will go wrong like my phone (laughs) will stop working it's always my wife's fault have you ever found yourself in that situation (laughs) who the fuck has ruined my phone who's been playing with my phone nobody's been playing with your phone (laughs) a miserable git you
1: always try and find blame for someone else. Particularly when I'm driving, yeah. Yes, when you're driving, yeah. Who drove me into that central reservation? Who parked that car there? <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Fair enough. <laughs> or looking at my Amazon purchase list and uh, my bank account at the end <laughs> of the month. <laughs> What sort of stuff did you buy on Amazon What uh, Do you know what the weirdest thing I've ever bought? Did I buy this off Amazon or eBay? I can't remember which. But the weirdest thing I ever bought drunk was a taxidermied squirrel riding a My Little Pony. <laughs> and
0: <laughs> I, th- I think I remember this, Sam. I, you came
1: to visit me when I had him, I think. I may well have seen said
0: taxidermied squirrel on said My Little Pony. I called him Napoleon. <laughs> of course you did. Why wouldn't you? <laughs>
1: And I took him into my office and I put him down on my desk as a mascot and I almost got fired for it because my boss was absolutely
0: horrified. And a taxidermied squirrel. Unsurprisingly, (laughs) a taxidermied squirrel
1: riding a My Little Pony. What a prude. I know, right? Was he a vegan wanker? (laughs) Nothing wrong with stuffing squirrels. (laughs) (laughs) hey? I don't think it was the fact that it was a stuffed squirrel. I think it was the fact that there was a stuffed squirrel staring at her across the office. Hello! And also the fact that it wasn't a very well taxidermied squirrel. What? It was like not very clearly well... an amateur effort.
0: <laughs> so are A you hobbyist telling me taxidermied someone... squirrel. <laughs> someone, someone with no training in taxidermy had found a dead squirrel and decided, I'm going to stuff that and put it on my little pony. Is that what you're yeah. trying to tell me?
1: The thing is, the same guy... Had, and I only know this because I woke up the next morning with a stinking hangover and thought, what? What have I bought? And then went and looked at his other items. I had a
0: horrible dream that i bought <laughs> I bought a stuffed <laughs> squirrel, one a my squirrel. little pony.
1: If I'd had £30 more, Tom, I could have bought one in a radio-controlled motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> that would have really freaked your boss out.
0: Have that driving round your desk.
1: <laughs> beep, beep. If only. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, I ended up giving it to a couple of stoners who live next door when I moved house. Excellent. I'm sure he's still around somewhere. And, and they, they, he's probably been turned into a bong that's now. That's
0: exactly what I was going to say. They stuck a straw <laughs> up his ass and turned it into a bong. <laughs> oh, ah, Excellent. Great times. Fantastic. Back to Fidel Castro. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, from stuffed back to Squirrels being used as bongs... To Fidel Castro.
1: The Americans are planning to blame all sorts of things on Cuba. Air disasters, which were very common at the time. That kind of stuff. But that's the sane stuff. That's the everyday for the CIA. I'm going to start reading some quotes to you, Tom. And the reason I'm going to read these quotes is because the CIA and the generals wrote it down far better than I ever could. And <laughs> we're going to start... We're going to start with the less mad and work our way up. Excellent. So we're going to start with a US-led invasion of of the US base at Guantanamo Bay. Nice. Nice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> in
1: fairness to the Yanks, they're quite good at shooting on their own troops. Hello to all on new American <laughs> listeners, by the way. <laughs> the thing is, they're not Americans. They're Americans dressed as Cubans. <laughs> the plan was, and this is now quoting, to start rumours, open brackets, many, by using clandestine radio broadcasts, then to land a friendly force of Cuban exiles in Cuban military uniforms, at Guantanamo Bay, over the fence, inverted commas, to stage an attack. These friendly troops would then be captured as saboteurs inside the base, and friendly Cubans outside the base would then, in reaction, start a load of riots. Hold on, so
0: they don't specify what type of rumours, they just said spread some rumours. So is this sort of like, you never guess what Fidel Castro does with his toilet roll, he puts it on the wrong way
1: round so that when you pull it off it's really awkward.
0: It's what, what sort of rumours are they talking about here?
1: Well, this is going to be rumours of an impending Cuban attack on the base, okay. to give okay. the US the pretence to defend itself. Right. Okay. So. Right. And also, Fidel Castro's got four nipples. Yeah. And only one testicle. <laughs> and like, he's dressing up like. And a meows girl. like a cat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fidel Castro loves stuffing squirrels. He's got hundreds of them. <laughs> it does.
1: He sells them on eBay.
0: <laughs> He's got hundreds of the buggers. One of them, you'll never guess what. And one of them he puts in the motorised car. And he just drives it around, freaking out people. What a weirdo.
1: Don't tell anybody though. <laughs> so anyway, the next step of this invasion of the base would be to blow up some ammunition and to start some fires inside Guantanamo Bay. Burn a load of old aircraft through supposed sabotage. Then have some friendly forces from outside pretend to fire mortar shells from outside the base into the base. Those would have been blanks. But they would have been some bombs planted in some old disused buildings which would have blown up. To capture, inverted commas, the Cuban assault teams coming from outside or the sea. Again, these would have been friendly Cubans. Then blow up an American ship in the harbour and conduct funerals for the mock victims who wouldn't have existed. The US would then have responded by launching an invasion to protect Guantanamo Bay, and that would have been the pretext for the larger-scale invasion. Fuck's sake, that's quite a lot of work, isn't it? That is quite a lot of work. I mean, it's it's insane, but it's, you know, it's conceivable. There were several plans for... Blowing up ships that didn't have anyone on them or were stocked with dead bodies. Nice. <laughs> then using that to ferment, <laughs> yeah. ferment hatred at home. That'd be a lovely job, wouldn't it? Oh, today, mate, we got you're giving you a bit of a job. Um, We've got
0: about 100 dead bodies. We'd just like you to go and put them on an empty boat. And you're the only, you're the only one on the boat. If you just spread them around a little bit, it's not going to freak the shit out of you or anything. (laughs) I think you'll be absolutely fine
1: afterwards. And the, the plan was that when these ships would explode, the Cuban Air Force would obviously fly around above them going, what the hell just happened there? At which point someone would film the Cuban ships, the Cuban planes flying above the burning wreckage and send that footage to all of the American newspapers and the American TV channels. So you've got video evidence of Cuba bombing American ships. But again, this is regular CIA stuff, this. The next idea that They had was to launch homemade terror attacks against Cubans in exile living in Florida and Miami.
0: Hearts and minds, Sam. Hearts and minds. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Blow- <laughs> Carry on, sorry. Blowing up your own exiles, yep, yep, absolutely. It's a great way of winning them over. <laughs> yeah. So the plan was to direct a terror campaign at Cuban refugees who were seeking haven in the United States. Qu- I'm quoting again now, this is from the document. We could sink a boatload of Cubans en route to Florida. Open brackets. Real or simulated. Close brackets. (laughs) Casual. Not bothered. A little bit of casual murder. They're only Cubans. Yeah, yeah. Bloody hell. Come on now. A bit of heart. A little bit of human decency. (laughs) A bit of heart there, please. Still quoting, We could foster attempts on the lives of Cuban refugees in the United States, even to the extent of wounding some, in instances which would be widely publicised. Exploding a few plastic bombs in carefully chosen spots and then arresting Cuban agents with the release of prepared documents substantiating Cuban involvement. I can picture this out. Just a little wounding. A
0: load of men sitting around a table Go, just let's just throw some ideas about. General Barb, <laughs> is... kill them, kill them all. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is fucking ridiculous. Isn't that a little murderous? Can you imagine ever sitting around a table discussing this? Casually murdering other people. I mean, we could just murder a few humans, you know, sort of on a boat.
1: Real or simulated? Real or simulated? I'm not boxing us in here, guys. Let's think big. We don't have to be simulated, guys. We could go real. Just think outside the box. How how else could we
0: kill some Cuban people who have done nothing wrong? This is this is bum. It's OK.
1: They're on our side. Yeah. It's mad and horrifying. In my head, it's a darkened room with a big round table with every person having a little spotlight on them and big kind of maps of the world and around. And
0: fucking Dr. Strangelove
1: controlling his right arm. Very Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> This is unreal. Yeah, it gets more and more bizarre. So they were fully planning on creating some Russian MiG aircraft in hangars in the US and using them to launch air raid attacks at night on other Caribbean nations to help foster hatred of Cuba. And what they were also thinking of doing is taking these aircraft. They were either thinking of painting up American aircraft to look like Soviet aircraft with a big star on the side or actually using stolen plans to build a small force of Russian aircraft and using them to harass civilian airliners flying over the Caribbean, even taking some of these planes and flying them up next to civilian airliners that were being radio-controlled, that were empty, and blowing them up. They were genuinely considering doing this as part of it. Bloody oh, the hell. They were also looking at pretending one of their own fighters had been shot down You're using submarine-launched wreckage and a bit of paint. The idea being that a new pilot, inverted commas, would arrive for his first flight at an air force base in florida he'd fly out on patrol his plane would have some problems inverted commas it would fall back a bit once he was out of sight of the other planes he would claim that he was under attack by cuban aircraft he would then jettison a load of smoke out the back of his plane dip down towards the sea looking like he was going to crash and then cut the smoke and fly at very low level just above the waves so they wouldn't be detected on radar all the way back to florida where he'd land in a remote airfield At the same time he was doing this, a submarine in the same place would release a load of wreckage and possibly a dead body to look like the plane. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, Sam. How how is the submarine going to do this? Is it just going to wind a window down?
0: Because I I can't help but feel that's a risky business for something that's submerged in a lot of water.
1: How are you going (laughs) to. Fire it out of the tubes. Fire it out of the tubes. Yeah. How are you going to get the wreckage of a plane out of a submarine? Well, you could launch the submarine with the wreckage tied to the top, sw-
0: and then just un- unleash I it. you could, couldn't you? I'm just not thinking creatively enough. I would have never been allowed in that room, Sam. You think outside the yeah, box. Yeah, I would have Tom. been sent out. You out? You're not willing
1: to kill innocent Cubans. <laughs> get out and don't tell anyone you heard. Basic any of this. CIA training. Yeah. Acceptable collateral damage. But whilst this was happening, whilst the submarine was releasing the wreckage, the plane would have landed at a small airfield in Florida, would very quickly be taken into a hangar and repainted so that it had different tail markings to the one that had just been shot down. The pilot would change into his normal uniform, reassume his normal identity so he was no longer this new pilot, he was back as the pilot he'd always been, and fly the repainted plane back to the Air Force base. Sorry guys, sorry guys, <laughs> I wanted a pie. I stopped off for a pie. Sorry I'm late, yeah. yeah. Isn't that wonderfully That's mad? Bizarre. Isn't that genius? You can definitely see how
0: people would read these documents and it would fuel a lot of conspiracy theories around things like
1: 9-11. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's not the maddest one, though, Tom. I've saved the best till last. Ooh. This is, by far and away, the maddest and best one. Do you watch Sherlock, the BBC Sherlock series? Oh,
0: I, I am aware of it, yes, I am aware of it, but I haven't watched it.
1: So there is an episode with a plane crash, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it's remarkably similar to what they did here, ended up in a BBC episode of Sherlock. So this is the maddest one, it's blowing up a fake plane load of tourists, again in a plot involving duplicate aircrafts and very swift repainting jobs. I'm gonna try if I can and quote again from the document here. It is possible to create an incident which will demonstrate convincingly that a Cuban aircraft has attacked and shot down a civil airliner en route from the United States to Jamaica. The destination would be chosen only to cause a flight plan to cross Cuba. The passengers would be a group of college students on a holiday or any grouping of persons with a common interest. So, for example, a group of nuns. Um, The nuns bit they didn't write down, but they did write down college students just to make it seem, you know, extra horrible what was about to happen.
0: (laughs) Pregnant, young, single women whose husbands have recently died in
1: horrific circumstances. A choir of orphans. (laughs) (laughs) Off for a cancer charity fundraiser. Absolutely, with their their pet squirrels. (laughs) Plane load of kittens. So a civilian aircraft would be painted and renumbered as an exact duplicate of another one. At a designated time, the duplicate would be substituted for the actual plane and would be loaded with passengers all boarded under carefully prepared aliases. The actual aircraft, which was due to fly the flight, would be converted to a radio-controlled drone. At takeoff, the drone aircraft and the actual aircraft will be scheduled to allow them to meet south of Florida. At that point, the one carrying the actual passengers will descend below radar and then will eventually land. It will return to the airport and land the passengers will be evacuated under cover of darkness so no one will see them and the plane will be returned to its original numbering. So this is the plane that's been renumbered. The original plane, which now has no passengers on it and is being radio controlled, will continue to fly the flight plan over Cuba. When over Cuba, the drone will be transmitting, on international distress frequencies, a Mayday signal saying that it's under attack by a Cuban MiG aircraft. The transmission will be interrupted by the destruction of the aircraft, which will be triggered by radio signal. How geniusly mad is that? That's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's so silly because you know you can't
0: cover all your bases with a big scheme like that, can you? Someone is going to let slip or someone's going to question it Surely you can't get away with something of that scale. Crazy.
1: I mean, for a start, anyone at the airport is going to see that this supposed child choir of orphans looks an awful lot like moustachioed men in trench coats, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wearing shades and sunglasses,
0: yeah. <laughs> and getting on Looking
1: the plane. Yeah, stewardess is just going to look at their passports and go, "Little Johnny," <laughs> and this seven-foot guy is going to go. Yes, Yes, ma'am. Ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I am eight years old. (laughs) I enjoy colouring in with crayons. My parents died in a house fire. It would be just awful if something tragic was to happen to me on this very safe plane. Of the ripe old age of eight. (laughs) Tapping his nose.
0: (laughs) Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So I know that there are lots of links between the Cuban Missile Crisis, the tensions with Cuba and uh, the JFK assassination. There are a lot of conspiracy theories linking those together, aren't there?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And that's why this committee released these documents. It was in that sense, kind of for a transparency yeah. thing to show that, you know, it wasn't the army in <laughs> a way who killed JFK. I, I mean, I,
0: I do recall studying the Cuban Missile Crisis, but I don't recall the details. Were there any events that have subsequently come to light that were ridiculous and were clearly American incidents of he who smelt it, dealt it?
1: I don't think so. Not for Cuba. No. I mean there were a huge number of assassination attempts on Fidel Castro by the CIA. It's just a ridiculous number. Hundreds of Was there like an explosive cigar? There was an explosive cigar, there were explosive golf balls, there was all there was all sorts. Absolutely all sorts. There was poison. They they were really keen on getting rid this of This is him. like the Pink Panther, isn't it?
0: This is it's just so ridiculous.
1: Yes, yeah. I mean fortunately. It didn't get past the drawing board. It didn't get past the mad men in their darkened room with their maps. The plans were very quickly shot down by the Secretary of Defence, Robert McNamara, and in turn by Kennedy himself. Uh, you'd hope that they were shot down because they took one look at these plans and saw that they were bastard mad and truly and quite evil. quite immoral, yeah. But actually it was because the Deputy of Secretary of Defence at the time, a guy called Roswell Gilpatrick, thought that they were a bit too niche He was hoping to be presented with more of a grand strategy, given that he'd gotten a load of generals in a room together, and what he'd ended up with was a series of proposed fake attacks, which he thought lacked ambition, really, as a strategy for dealing with Cuba. He wanted something bigger on a grand international stage. He was also a bit pissed off that the generals were talking about spending money that they hadn't been allocated and thought the CIA should be footing the bill for the extra ships and aircraft they'd be blowing up. So it wasn't denied because it was mad, it was denied because finances weren't in order (laughs) and it wasn't large enough scale.
0: (laughs) How bizarre.
1: But fortunately, slash unfortunately, just six months later, the Cuban Missile Crisis kicked off in October 1962, and Cuba became very much a grand strategy issue as a global issue rather than a thorn in the side of America to be dealt with by the CIA. Okay, so
0: that that almost became the pretense, the Cuban Missile... That became the pretense to take the whole issue much more seriously.
1: Yeah, it, it was re- decided after the Cuban Missile Crisis that actually Cuba was to be taken seriously. It wasn't just a, a small regime that could be overthrown easily by a few CIA-trained... Exiles, or by blowing up a few planes here and there, that it would require quite a lot more thought in a diplomatic way than it had been given. (laughs) Not very diplomatic. The solutions they were coming up with were they not hugely? Is there evidence of there being someone in the room who's just like, "Hey, guy, we could just talk to them"? On the contrary, it's the personal opinions of those involved don't really make it onto the paperwork don't really make it onto the documents but from what there is it very much looks like they were egging each other on with this <laughs> it's, it's it's bizarre looking at it the whole lot is 180 pages but about 170 of those pages are just back and forth replacing words and agreeing that something needs to be done and then the really mad stuff comes towards the end. Truly ridiculous. But there we go. An illicit document that shows just how dangerous men in uniforms and men in trench coats can be when they get together. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And how uncreative they can be, by the stands of it. Uncreative? Well, y- <laughs> Is that sarcasm? No, I, 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 yes.
1: Mm. I don't think they were the most creative ideas. I think they were just plain stupid. They were, they were plain stupid. There was an awful lot of blowing things up. Yeah. Yes, once someone had gotten the idea into their head of blowing something up There was an awful lot of other people going Oh, well, we could blow up that well, as well There's lots of things we could blow up Yeah, someone thought we could blow up an ammunition dump Someone thought we could blow up a ship Then someone thought we could blow up some Cuban refugees So someone else thought we could <laughs> we could blow up Haiti And then someone else thought <laughs> Let's blow up a plane full of college students slash nuns Slash or Slash the Baltimore Orphans Orchestra of Eight-Year-Olds <laughs> Against Cancer
0: <laughs> Oh dear well, there you go. I'd I, I never heard of that, Sam. That's very, very interesting. And where did you stumble across the original documents? You said this was on American, an American government website.
1: Yeah, so you can download them from the Kennedy Assassination Committee. That's not its full name, but I can't now find the name or I've written it down for what it is. There are a few other documents lingering around on other non-government sites, but I can't find any record of them on government sites, so I'm going to assume that they're fair. Yeah, play safe. There's an awful lot of, you know, third-eye lizard people conspiracy videos and websites on youtube yeah, yeah, yeah there's a lot of madness a lot of madness but there was an awful lot of actual genuine madness going around no at the no smoke without fire sam you're talking the period where the cia was doing mk ultra you know dosing huge portions of the u.s population with lsd to see <laughs> to experiment with mind control techniques my favorite one is radio cats Hit me with your radio cat, Stan. This was a CIA plot to infiltrate the Soviet embassy in the US. And what they did was they got a load of cats and they trained these cats to be attracted to typically Russian smells. So <laughs> they would feed them at the same... Sorry,
0: sa- sorry. <laughs> what, what what are typically
1: Russian smells? So things like Russian food, like borscht, the caviar, vodka and Russian colognes. Yeah. The smell of fear that you might say something against Lenin or Stalin or Khrushchev. (laughs) So what they did, they trained these cats to like Russian smells. And then they released a a huge number of rats into the Soviet embassy and, and ensured that the Soviet embassy had a huge rat problem. Then they released the cats. The idea being that these cats would go into the Soviet embassy because they were attracted to the smell. They thought that was where the food was because it was smelt like a Russian place. The Soviets would then adopt them and use them as mouses to get rid of the rat problem. Now, these cats had been surgically altered by the CIA, Tom, so that their tails, which famously stick up... Oh, off. ...had a radio antenna in them, and <laughs> there was a small microphone fitted to the cat's neck, fitted under the skin of the cat's neck. What? The idea being that these cats would then transmit conversations from inside the embassy to uh, CIA listeners outside through their tails. Now, the CIA spent something like $3 million on this programme. Oh. And they released their first cat.
0: What happened to the cat, Tom? I, I don't know. It, it, tuned, it tuned into more FM.
1: I don't know. It got hit by a bus <laughs> whilst crossing the road to the Soviet embassy. They released it. It immediately got hit by a bus and killed. <laughs> the Americans were so worried they had to go and pick up this cat because suddenly there's a flat cat which has bits of metal sticking out of it right outside the Soviet embassy and so they had to pick up this cat and then they were worried that they'd been spotted and the Soviets wouldn't trust them so they abandoned the entire programme Oh, (laughs) isn't that flipping mental I love that I it's one of those it.
0: things. It's so stupid. I'm trying to think of something amusing to say about it, but nothing trumps the stupidity of the story. No need. No, absolutely. No need. The story talks for
1: itself. Anyway, Tom, that's quite enough lowbrow humour from me. You have something incredibly highbrow sounding to uh, talk absolutely, about. Absolutely, Sam. Although assure me it's I, not.
0: I am well. I'm I'm a highbrow person, Sam. I
1: I know this yeah, about you. I don't you.
0: take satisfaction from bum jokes and toilet humour.
1: Non-innuendo Tom, is what they yeah, call exactly. you. Exactly. In no one's endo, Tom. That's a mouthful. <laughs> That's what she said. Sorry, it took me a moment. <laughs> I was teeing you up,
0: but I had to, I had to nudge <laughs> you along in the, in the right direction. I'm back in the room. Uh, <laughs> so, Sam, as I mentioned at the start, I'm going to talk about Boccaccio's Decameron which was a book that was written in the middle of the 14th century. It's an incredibly funny book. It's actually a book that's made up of various short stories. So the backdrop of the story is The Black Death. A hilarious start Absolutely. to any good comedy book. <laughs> the Black Death. In the background of the book, of the story is The back de- uh, back Black Death, which swept through Europe and impacted... <laughs> Your words are really struggling in, today, aren't they? Put, yeah, the... The backdrop to this story is the Black Death, which swept through Europe and also a lot of Asia as well in the middle of the 14th century.
1: It came from Asia. It,
0: absolutely. It came along the, the Silk Road, didn't it? But a, a massively, massively destructive half a decade in human history, a horrible period in which, you, in which to live. The Italian peninsula was struck particularly hard by the Black Death, just as a bit of an aside. Estimates up to 70 or 80% of the population died in the space of about five or six years, Jeez. incredible. And I knew the the number of deaths in places like United Kingdom was very, very high. But the Italian Peninsula got hit almost worse than anywhere else. And I think that was because of the rise of the commercial centres in Italy, places like Genoa, Venice, for example. You
1: had a lot of large cities at the time, didn't you? Which you didn't have really anywhere else no, in Europe, and,
0: and with massive trade connections as well. Lots, lots of trade coming in and out. So it would have spread very quickly across the globe. The Black Death was responsible in that short period for the deaths of tens of millions of people, if not hundreds of millions of people. Really, really horrendous. So this, the story is set against the backdrop of the Black Death in Florence and the sort of surrounding area. And seven young women and three young men escape Florence to escape the Black Death. And they go into the, the Florentine countryside and they find an old villa and they just settle down in there. And it's they're quite carefree. You know, there's all this this dreadful stuff going on in the cities and for two weeks they tell each other stories so they tell each other 10 stories every day and you know two weeks that's 14 days obviously they didn't do it on the two Sundays and they had a day of cleaning so they they had a day of cleaning each week pious and yeah, organized yeah, pious and tidy they all <laughs> if there's one thing they didn't want it was rats sam they didn't want rats at that, at that point in history So there are 100 stories in the Decameron and very, very, very funny stories. Very bawdy, slapstick, carefree just plain silly. Very, very good fun.
1: Are we going to get to why this book was banned? Or should I ask this now?
0: Oh, I, I will come on okay. to In fact, I think it will become quite clear when we actually start <laughs> discussing some of the stories. Um, what did they say was, the Pope did? <laughs> yes, it's not far off, Sam. It's not <laughs> far off. You are really going to enjoy this. Have you ever heard of Boccaccio's Decameron? I you? haven't,
1: but I think I'm going to have to track it down if it lives up to the reputation you're giving it now. So, so
0: you wait. <laughs> you wait. <laughs> it was also written in the Italian vernaculars as well, and so by all accounts, it was very popular with the merchant classes who were sharing these stories and finding them incredibly amusing. So a lot of people had access to these stories and to this book. It's been very influential. It's inspired Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, which are known to be quite racy. Are not a patch on the Cameron. (laughs) It's influenced Shakespeare, Lord Tennyson, Jonathan Swift, Edgar Allan Poe. It's influenced a lot
1: of people. I, for one, am shocked that the Italian version is slightly more racy than the English version. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. Having, having watched Italian TV and had women with, their, <laughs> women with their boobs out at five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon on a game show. Uh, this fa- this is fairly believable, isn't it? So Boccaccio himself was from a merc- mercantile family, a mercantile, mercantile family. So he was very middle class. How the fuck do you pronounce this word? Mercantile or mercantile? Take one and go with it. I don't know. Mercantile. I'm going to go m- mercantile. <laughs> you okay. just invented so Bicaccio... another one. You
1: just said mercantile.
0: But I think that's what it's supposed to mean. It's like a sort of merchant class, a tradesman. I think it's
1: mercantile. Mercantile. Okay, we're going to go with mercantile. Correct us if we're wrong, listeners.
0: Yeah, please do correct us. So Boccaccio was from an emerging mercantile family. He was a Renaissance humanist and a very significant one. He corresponded with a more famous humanist, Petrarch, and Petrarch invented the concept of the Dark Ages. That's nice of him. Yeah, well, the, the, the reason why he invented this concept of the Dark Ages is he was such a significant figure in the Renaissance. And as we know, the Renaissance was about rediscovering classical antiquity. And studying classical antiquity, grammar, rhetoric, history, poetry, moral philosophy, all of these sort of things. And Boccaccio was in the same mould. So uh, very, very important figures in the Renaissance. And the Renaissance, obviously, Sam, is something that you and I have great respect for, because we are humanists, aren't we? Having studied history and classics at university, we they are humanity. Very much. Huge respect. Huge respect. Huge respect for the Renaissance. Absolutely. So Petrarch and Boccaccio believed God gave humans creativity, ambition, intellect... And this should be used to pursue secular ambitions as well as being pious. They believed that there was nothing wrong in being intelligent, being well-educated and using those skills to progress oneself in a commercial setting. And this is a major theme in the Decameron. So so stupid people uh, end up being punished and witty, smart people succeed. And you can see why this would rub up against the church. In the Renaissance, there were a lot of a lot of important church figures who were very supportive of the Renaissance and were very happy to translate classical literature and read classical literature and have a classical education. But it did rub up a little, a little bit against the church. This book, it's actually been difficult with my research to find out exactly when and where and why it was banned. But I certainly know it was banned in the USA. On numerous occasions, I have a quote here from one of the. Sorry, just um, taking my
1: slippers off, Sam. My feet are getting <laughs> quite sweaty. A charming insight, a rich, a rich audio tapestry that we're giving our listeners here.
0: Absolutely, I, I'm I'm sitting at a, a desk with a beautiful leather inlay as well, Sam. Ooh. As I take my slippers off. Are you smoking a pipe? What was I talking about? Yes, yeah, so banned. So it'd been, it's been banned in the USA on numerous times. It'd be an obscene, lewd, lascivious book of indecent character. That's a quote. It's been banned in Australia. I know it's been banned in Britain as well. If it's been banned in those three countries, you, fa- you can be fairly confident it's been
1: banned <laughs> in Saudi Arabia. If it's been banned in those three countries, you can guarantee it's brilliant. For a Renaissance book to get banned in three modern countries is quite
0: impressive. It's remarkably silly, Sam. It's fan- It's fantastic when we get onto it. I've chosen to discuss three stories Two a bit more quickly And then one in greater depth But before I do that Sam I'd like to give you a few summaries Of some of the stories That didn't quite make the cut (laughs) So here's the first one Sam It's a story of a young nun Who is caught with a lover In her convent room And one of the senior nuns Here's that something's going on. She arrives at the scene and gives the young nun a good telling off for being very impious and getting up to no good. <laughs> however the last laugh is on the last laugh is on is on the senior nun because she actually has her lover's underpants on her head <laughs> that she accidentally put on <laughs> Instead of her habit. So, <laughs> so she is wearing her secret lover's breeches accidentally. So that's one of the stories. This is very carry-on film. Uh, very, very, very. carry-on film. These. This is another story. A man is persuaded by a friend that he is pregnant. And this is because the friend wants to exhort money from him to pay for the abortion. But obviously, you know, obviously it's unnecessary, <laughs> biologically is unnecessary. The man who thinks he is now pregnant goes home and tells off his wife for always going on top. <laughs> 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 so, 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 these, so these didn't quite make the cut. And a third one, <sighs> Sam, that didn't quite make the cut. A woman is seeing a man whilst her husband is at work, so she's having an affair. The husband returns home and the lover hides in a barrel. The woman berates her husband for not being at work. You should be at work, she tells him. You should be earning money and paying our bills. He's got a big grin on his face, the husband, and he says, I'm home because I've just managed to sell that barrel for five ducats. We're loaded. We're made. I've sold the barrel. And she says, sharp-witted as she is, she says, Well, actually, I think you'll find I've sold it for seven ducats today to a man who's currently inside there inspecting the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she wanders over there, whispers in his ear. The lover pops out pretending to be examining the, the quality of the barrel. And uh, the end of that story involves the husband lending. <laughs> the man who's just been shagging his wife, a hand home with the barrel that he's just bought.
1: <laughs> anyway, wonderful.
0: Let's start with the first story that I'm going to go into a little bit more detail about. It's day. I've started to
1: like the Renaissance.
0: <laughs> I, I've always liked the Renaissance, Sam, and I didn't realise that it was quite this boring. <laughs> so, day seven, story four. A rich man called Tefano has a wife called Gita and Tefano starts getting jealous of Gita for no good reason Gita asks him why he's jealous and he can't give her a reason and we've all met that person they just need to chill the fuck out don't they? <laughs> she she finds the young man to have an affair with because she's getting fed up of Tefano. and what she does as a strategy to get out of the house and go and shag this young man is she gets Tefano drunk most evenings because he likes a good drink so he'll get him pissed lie him down on the sofa and she buggers off to get to get some from this young man. Tufano starts to get a bit suspicious after a while. And so one day he feigns drunkenness, watches her leave and then waits. Finally, his wife starts coming back in the wee hours of the night and she can't get in the house. And so he goes up to the window and starts giving her a mouthful, telling her she's not allowed back in because of what she's been up to. It's a disgrace. She should be ashamed. He's going to tell the whole village. And so she, being quick-witted, says to him, right, well, if you don't let me in, I'm going to commit suicide. I'm going to jump down the well. He said, no, you won't. And she says, all right, watch me. So she then sneaks around the corner to the well where it's nice and dark cause it's in the early hours of the morning. She drops a big stone down the well, which makes her racket. Tofano quickly runs out of the house, runs to the well, turns around to find that Gita made her way into the house and has locked the door on Tofano.
1: <laughs> so...
0: So so Gita (laughs) then proceeds to give him an absolute mouthful from out of the window, tells him he's a bloody idiot, wakes up the whole neighbourhood, tells everyone that he's been out in in the wee hours drinking, being a bad husband. The whole village turn up to have a look, including Gita's relatives. Gita's relatives give him a beating. He's stuffed, so they all start to believe her. So that's day seven story four, which I think is quite funny. Day eight, story five, Sam, is the second story. Now, you're going to like this one a lot. The plot is simple, but the story is just very well executed, Sam. Simple but effective plot. (laughs) There are governors from Ancona. I'm going to give you a quote here. That's the sound of me turning over paper.
1: Again, a rich audio tapestry for our audience. If you've just tuned in now, this is the quality that we aspire to at all times.
0: Absolutely. Uh, here we go. So the governors from Ancona who are commonly mean spirited folk and so paltry and sordid of life. So they're basically horrible people. They bring with them some judges. And this young lad called Masso del Saggio spots this judge. And this judge is a scruffy bugger. Let me read a quote. Now, one of these being come hither from provost among the many judges whom he brought with him was one who styled himself Mezzo Nicola di Sandro Lepidio and who had more of the air of a tinker than of aught else. So he was, a, he was just a not very nice person, this judge. So Masso del Saggio, the, the next day, goes and speaks to two of his mates, Ribby and Matuzo. So we've got Masso, Ribby and Matuzo. And the next day, they plot to turn up at the courthouse and two of them, Ribby and Masso, stand either side of the judge and pretend that they're unhappy with each other because one of them has stolen the, the other one's boot or saddlebags, depending on the translation that you read. Um, so they're having a good argument across this judge meanwhile Matuso hides under the judge's table I mean, this is in a packed courtroom (laughs) eventually the judge stands up because it's just getting too rowdy as he does so Matuso pulls down his trousers (laughs) (laughs) Ribby Ribby and Masso grab a hold of his jacket so that he can't cover himself up and they basically just take the piss out of him for being a scruffy old sod (laughs) so (laughs) So
1: I mean, you, you did say it was simple but beautifully executed, and that is simple but beautifully executed. There's no depth to that story, is there?
0: <laughs> it's an excellent story. Let me see if I can actually read an exact quote. The judge stood up and leaned towards them so he might better apprehend what they had to say. Wherefore, Matuzo, watching his opportunity, thrust his hand between the crack of the boards and laying hold of Meza Nicola's gallegaskins by the breach... Tugged at them a main, the breeches came down incontinent for that the judge was lean and lank of the crupper. Whereupon, feeling this and knowing not what it might be, he would have sat down again and pulled his skirts forward to cover himself. But Masso on one side and Ribby on the other side held him fast and cried out. Um, So yeah, they basically get a judge, get him to stand up, and they show the whole courtroom is Willy. Brilliant. The final story. This is the story that I'm going to go into in a. Wee How bit old more was day. this guy
1: when he wrote this book? Because it sounds like he was about thirteen. <laughs>
0: yeah, it is, isn't it? It's that style of sense of humour. Very much schoolboy humour. The next story. I would hope a, a schoolboy's wouldn't have this level of smut in their humour, Sam. So this is day three, story ten, and I think this is one of the more famous stories. So
1: by story ten, they're quite drunk. You assume it's the end of the day. <laughs>
0: yeah, they've had a whole day of it. There have been no people with big bloody blue fingers wandering around giving them the plague. So day three, story 10 is about a beautiful non-Christian daughter of a rich man named Ali Beck. And she had heard a lot about Christianity and she wanted to learn how to best serve God. And she was speaking to some of her friends who are Christians and they said that the most holy people, the best people to answer the question, lived in solitude in the desert giving their life over to god so she goes looking for these these people in the desert she comes across the first holy man let me give you a quote the worthy man seeing her young and very fair and fearing lest as he entertained her the devil should beguile him commended her pious intent and giving her some blah 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 she sends him off so she basically says go and see this other man i i don't want to have a young attractive female in my room because i can't i won't be able to control myself very gallant. Very, very gallant. The second holy man says pretty much the same thing. He says, no, it would be wrong of me to have you here. Move on. Let's give you a quote. She finally comes across Rustico. Here's the quote. Uh, um, Temptations tarried not to give battle to his powers of resistance, and he, finding himself grossly deceived by these latter, turned tail without awaiting many insults and confessed himself beaten. So poor old Rustico gives in. Gives in to his temptation says, fuck it, let's roll with it. So he starts to explain to Alibek this dumb blonde young girl that the best thing you can do to help god is to put the devil back in hell and she says how do you put the devil back in hell and he says well we start by getting naked so he takes off his clothes <laughs> and um, and she thinks okay all right I, I better follow the lead so she takes off her clothes now the next bit sam it gets so raunchy that it's not been uncommon for various translators of this text To just leave the
1: original Italian And not actually translate it <laughs> Does it have words that just We we don't have those words We cannot describe these actions They are positions we can't possibly imagine That is pretty much it Let me give you a quote so I'm not entirely is... sure what meatball marinara is As a position <laughs> <laughs> meatball, meatball marinara
0: uh, Yeah the mind wanders Doesn't it So here is here is a quote from one translator um, "'Impossible to render the technicalities of that mysterious art into tolerable English.'" There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I did find a quote. I did find an, a translation of what goes on. So let's go through it. Here we go. So this is Ali Beck speaking to Rustico. "'Rustico, what is this which I see thee have that so protrudes in which I have not?' "'Oh, my daughter,' said Rustico, "'tis the devil of whom I have told thee, "'and seest thou? "'He is now tormenting me most grievously.'" in so much as that I'm scarce able to hold out. Um, So.
1: (laughs) It's It's a willy though, isn't
0: it? (laughs) Rustico's got an erection. Basically, Rustico's got an erection and he's pretending it's the devil.
1: I think you can work out where hell is, Sam. Where we should put, put the devil. So. I, for one, Tom, cannot possibly imagine how and why this book got banned by the Catholic <laughs> no, Church.
0: <laughs> no, I, I can't understand it either, or by, or by Victorians. I can't understand what they would have seen offensive about this, or, or, or rude. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. The first time was quite painful for poor old Alibeck, but it, she soon starts to enjoy it. Um. This a quote ever I did I had so much pleasure, so much solace as in putting the devil in hell, for which cause I deem it insensate folly on the part of anyone to have to care out else than the service of God. So she's basically saying, you know, this is actually a very pleasurable thing. I can't believe that nobody else is doing this. Everyone should be servicing God in such a way. But she is <laughs> clearly enjoying it a bit too much because we get to the stage where poor old Rustico can't keep up. Quote. So, the girl thus frequently inviting and exhorting Rustico to the service of God, there came at length a time when she had so thoroughly lightened his doublet that he shivered when another would have sweated. Wherefore, he began to instruct her that the devil was not to be corrected and put in hell, save when his head was exalted with pride. So he's, he's, he's just. He's knackered. He's knackered. Tom. He's had days of this every day. He's just exhausted. Where's there a bucket (laughs) of cold water? He just needs a bucket of cold water. His doublet has been exhausted. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, what soon happens is that a young man called Nir Bale finds Alibek in the desert with this chap. He finds her because Alibek's family have recently died in a fire. Not the funny part of the story. And he wants to marry her to save the estate. Rustico is delighted because he just can't keep up with Alibek. So Alabek goes off with Nibel, and when she's back in her hometown, she speaks to a lot of the ladies, and she's actually quite critical of Nibel for taking her from such a pious pastime. And they ask her. <laughs> Let's see. I wonder if I've got another quote. They, they basically this group of girls ask her what she means. And then she starts to say, "Well, you know, I, I've been spending all this time putting the devil in hell." And she explains what that involves. And they all start laughing hysterically because obviously they know that she's been tricked. That's story 10 of day three. And it's very amusing the way I've told it. It's slightly dubious when you add in the detail that Ali Beck is 14. But we'll gloss over that bit. And (laughs) we'll gloss over the fact that Rustico is actually just grooming a minor. Yes. (laughs) So there you have it, Sam. That is... A summary of some of the stories from Boccaccio's Decameron. How was that for you?
1: I thoroughly enjoyed that. That was the dick joke that I've been waiting for in this podcast series. It's taken us until episode eight to get there, but I'm glad we got there in the end. To get a really extended euphemism. That's what she said. Indeed. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) To put a shine on the devil's head. (laughs) Yes. The devil's head's a great euphemism.
0: Devil's head, put the devil's head in her ass. Oh, just,
1: oh. I love that. That's wonderful. And uh, what, where is the Where is this band book, Tom? Where where could I find it for research purposes? Oh, I think it's a Penguin Classic, Sam. I think you can get it is online. It?
0: It's a Penguin is Classic. It? Yep. As with many along with the
1: famous five, and
0: <laughs> I think. My understanding is that we have some of the original texts that were written by Boccaccio and he actually did some of his own drawings for the for the book. Oh God. And so that could be a good one for <laughs> the, you to read. Illustri-
1: the illustrated version.
0: Absolutely. So I think you should you should research oh, no. some of these illustrations and see whether you can get some of those up on Instagram. I haven't researched definitely. it, but they could well be could well be very good.
1: I am definitely gonna have to do that. So do keep an eye on our Instagram for pictures of medieval nakedness (laughs) our instagram is instagram.com slash that was genius so do keep an eye out for some horrible by the sounds of it uh, medieval renaissance doodles did i come across i think i did come across an illustration
0: of the judge having his trousers pulled down i think you'll find that (laughs) online and that I, i yeah i'm starting to picture that image and that was quite funny so go on, Sam, do a bit of research, see what you can dig up.
1: That sounds like a horrible job <laughs> that I shall absolutely not enjoy at all. <laughs> Given my habit of shit-posting history memes all over our social media accounts.
0: <laughs> Finding anything rude throughout
1: history that you can share. Incidentally, we don't just have an Instagram, do we, Tom? Oh, no, we don't, Sam. What else do we have? That was Genius Podcast on Facebook, and we're also on Twitter, oh, which nice. is that underscore was underscore... Genius. Excellent. Have you been tweeting, Sam? I haven't really checked out the Twitter. I tweet from dawn till dusk, only stopping to send the devil's head momentarily to purgatory.
0: (laughs) Excellent. To shake the hand of the devil.
1: (laughs) Grab him by the horns. Enough. We're both in a very silly mood. (laughs) Now, why didn't we study this as... Stroke Satan's sausage. that's, that's, That's double euphemism. Too far. Uh, reverse.
0: Uh, battle Beelzebub's bell.
1: <laughs> and cue outro music.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Where to from here, Sam? What do we got set up for next week?
1: It, the only way is up, Tom. The only way is up. <laughs> yes. No. Oh, I've gone lightheaded from laughing.
0: Ah. How about artefacts? We can choose an artefact to discuss.
1: That can be the challenge for next week is to describe in audio form the artefacts that we've decided to to talk about. What
0: other suggestions have you got?
1: Drunkenness or food and drink.
0: Food, now, food and drink is a good idea. Now, food and drink, I th- I've thought of that as a good topic. Food and drink. <sighs> I, I Let's go food and drink. And then the week after, I think we should do
1: an artefact. Food and drink. Food and drink it is. Perfect. Excellent. I look forward to it. Bonanza. Greatly. Marvellous. And in the meantime, if you have enjoyed this podcast, we would absolutely adore it. We would adore it, darling, if you would subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if there's an option on your podcast platform of choice to review us, please do do that. It really makes a world of difference. It helps us grow. It helps other people see us. Only
0: if you liked
1: it. Or or you feel like lying. If you hated it, if you're feeling charitable, five stars. We will see you next week. Until next Wednesday. Bye bye, bye. bye.